0: Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have decided to spend your time with us. It's October 1st, which means it's a new fiscal year for the state of Michigan. This is the day that lawmakers and the governor need to have a state budget finalized and signed into law. And after months of wrangling and Lansing... They did just that. Governor Whitmer signed the $70 billion budget into law this week. It was a rare moment in Lansing these days of bipartisan celebration over a pretty major piece of legislation. Republicans and Democrats are both happy with the final product, or so they say. And it was made easier by the fact that the state is flush with money from federal stimulus funds, and unexpected boosts in state revenues. But there's still some controversy surrounding the budget. Here to talk about that and other stories from the state capitol is Michigan House Democratic leader Donna Lazinski. She is a Democrat from Shile Township who represents Michigan's 52nd state house district. Representative Lazinski, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here on another beautiful fall morning.
0: Yes, it is. It is really it is really fall right now in Michigan and uh yeah. we're being reminded of how nice that is in contrast to the to the crazy summer I th- I feel like Absolutely. we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I want to start with the budget agreement that Governor yeah. Whitmer signed into law this week and talk about one of the big items, this one point four billion dollars that's set aside for childcare, and that Mm -hmm. could make childcare aid available for about 105,000 more children here in Michigan. How significant is that, and how big a difference will that make for families?
1: Thank you for that question, because it's going to be incredible. And the amount of work that House Democrats put into making sure this budget works for working families, students, seniors, and everyone in our community is really tremendous. I wanna take a moment to reflect on how far we've come. A lot of these child care dollars were set aside last December 21st in a bipartisan agreement um, at the federal level. And House Democrats have every 30 days been reminding our communities that those dollars were sitting in D.C. We are so glad that the Republicans finally put this up for a clean vote for us to bring them home to Michigan. When we think about the economic impact that this is going to have, allowing Uh, women and men to get back to work while their children and all of our children in the community are safely cared for, particularly in these pandemic times when we know that we have had kids at home learning. And it's been very difficult um, for folks to balance job and family, to make sure that everybody's going to work healthy, going to school healthy, and coming home healthy. This is going to be a transformational change for our economy in Michigan. Hmm. And we're really proud that we fought so hard for it.
0: So as I said in the open... There was a lot of bipartisan support for this budget, um, and I wonder if you can give us a little of the background at how we got to a place where both Democrats and Republicans agree on what we should be spending money on. And I think this is a good example: yeah. this this fourteen or one point four billion dollars for child care. Uh, can you talk about the process of trying to make sure that that's that was part of the budget and perhaps what you had to, to do to maybe convince some of your Republican colleagues to, to set that money aside.
1: Absolutely. So, again, look at where we started. Um, the governor, uh, back in February, put out her budget proposal to fully fund uh, things like child care, schools, and others. And the Republicans introduced a counterproposal that cut most departments by 75%. Mm-hmm. So folks were only going to get 25 cents on the dollar um, to run state government. So that's where we started. And so what we had to do was come to an agreement that we were going to put Michigan families first, that we were going to put working families first, we were going to put the needs of people first. And when we did that and we put the people of Michigan at the center of the conversation, we were able to do some pretty terrific things like finally bring home these child care dollars, recognizing the economic impact that would have and how we can care for our children in a much more solid way. We're able to fully fund the Michigan Future for Frontliners program and Michigan Reconnect that allows folks to go back to college um, for those first two years, community college, to get skills to get them the job that they want in this economy. Mm. We were able to do things like look at high water Um, infrastructure, so things that will stop flooding that has been devastating to so many of our communities in Detroit, in Dearborn, Oakland, and Washtenaw County this summer. Really, by putting our clear-eyed focus on people, is how we were able to get to a budget that works for people. And I'm very proud of those efforts. A lot of conversation, a lot of um, work, and frankly, having folks come in to committees and other um, avenues here at the Capitol and tell their personal stories. You know, Mm. that is so powerful to stand in front of the legislature. It's scary. It's hard to come to a committee hearing and tell your story, but it matters and it helps us focus on what's really important and that's working for the people.
0: Mm. So I I also want to talk about another item in the budget that I think Mm -hmm. is really interesting. There's $14 million in there to help local governments prepare for extreme weather and coastal erosion. Uh, Of course, that's an area that's really badly needed. And those of us who live in southeast Michigan really can attest after this summer to how badly we need to to spend some money paying attention to those things. We've just seen one catastrophic flood after another, and we can only really expect uh, that pattern to get worse as climate change advances. But $14 million doesn't really seem like that much money when you think about the scale of this problem and the price tag to really address it. We're talking about billions of dollars needed here in Metro Detroit. So should Democrats have worked harder to get more money into the budget to deal with this?
1: Thank you. And I do appreciate that perspective. And I am not going to disagree with you. That $14 million, I believe, is just the start. We have to remember that we have the American Recovery Plan dollars passed under the Biden administration a couple months ago that's going to allow us to do generational change. Um, It's going to be similar to me, the opportunity we have to when we built the interstate highway system, and we are going to be using those dollars for infrastructure items like looking at the resiliency of our sewers and dams and other structures. When we see, as we saw and and we talked about at the beginning of our conversation here, this crazy summer of weather we have. When you have two to 300-year storms happen in less than two to three weeks, we know that we are in uncharted areas. And we need to make sure we have the infrastructure dollars to deal with that. And so absolutely, there are going to be more opportunities with the billions of dollars that are coming from the federal government to address those infrastructure needs. And I believe and I will fight for that $14 million to be just the beginning. Hmm.
0: So uh, when you say just the beginning in practical terms, Mm -hmm. what does that mean?
1: It means that we know we have projects and areas of study in Detroit, in Dearborn, in other areas in water and sewer infrastructure, in uh, high water infrastructure, dams, um, seawalls, and others that local communities have identified as immediate needs to protect their communities. These infrastructure dollars coming from the federal government have strings attached to them. Sometimes so many strings, they trip over them. We trip over them trying to get to the money. But what we know is one of those strings is that this money can and should be used for climate resiliency. As you said, places where we need to improve our structures to make sure homes, small businesses, and communities aren't subject to the type of flooding and devastation that we felt this summer. Hmm. So we have to spend the money on that. The federal government wants us to spend the money on that. And we are already working with Detroit and other communities to make sure we know what their needs are and we can build those in specifically to the money we allocate going forward.
0: I'm talking with uh, Donald Lazinski She is a Democrat who represents uh, Shio Township in the Michigan Legislature. That's Michigan's 52nd State House District. She's also the State House Minority Leader. We're talking about all the things that are going on in Lansing these days and especially the new budget that takes effect today, October 1st, 2021, and the things. Uh, that are different about that budget, the things that the state has decided to invest in here in uh, in the state of Michigan. Uh, we'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. What questions do you have for Michigan House Democratic leader Donald Lazinski? What questions do you have about the new budget that was signed into law by Governor Whitmer this week and how it might affect you or your community what do you make of the fact that the budget only spends 14 million dollars in helping local communities prepare for these crazy extreme uh, weather events that we've uh, been experiencing and what do you make of uh, the other parts of the budget as always 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones that's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. you can also go to the WDT Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag. Detroit Today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation uh, that way. Um, I want to talk just a little about the boilerplate language in the budget that was Mm -hmm. put in that says it wants to ban local health departments and schools from issuing mask mandates. Of course, mask mandates have been uh, the frontier of the, uh, the, the arguments about how to respond uh, to the pandemic for some time now. Governor Whitmer, as expected, is declaring that language unenforceable and unconstitutional. But we're now hearing that at least a couple of local health departments are rescinding their mask mandates and claiming falsely, of course, that they're being forced to do so because of that budget language. Uh, Democrats voting in large numbers for this budget with the understanding that that language would be struck down by the Governor was something that made us it made me a little nervous, I guess. Uh, is it proving to have been a mistake to to allow that language to go through?
1: You know as you mentioned, this is a bipartisan budget. Um, it has been clear from the start that there were was going to be an attempt to make partisan political points in what's called the boilerplate language of the budget. These are sentences and words that are attached to the budget. Um, that describe other, uh, how money should be spent. The language about masks is purely political. It is working to score partisan points with a political base and to get them riled up. This has happened in nearly every budget and every time it has been declared unenforceable and unconstitutional. That is clear. The governor has declared it as such. It is political speech. To make a law, you have to make a law. You can't make a law in a budget, and you can't undo the public health code in a budget. And so this is purely political speech that was inserted into the budget. We do so much good in this budget around investing in public safety, body cameras and professional development for police, investing $2.7 billion in mortgage assistance and home repairs and water affordability. We do so much good. And yet a partisan shot was taken in this budget. It's unenforceable. It's unconstitutional. And our public health departments will continue to stand to protect the public, particularly our vulnerable children who are not yet eligible for vaccines and who need to have the safest protocols in school. Because I'll tell you, as a parent, um, I I want my child to go to school healthy and to come home healthy. And I expect my local county health department to help me do that.
0: So the governor has resisted uh, the advice that she got from the top health official in the state that w- was that we should have mask mandates in all of our schools to keep children safe, to keep teachers safe, uh, even to keep parents and families safe. safe. The the governor didn't take that a- a- advice. I wonder what you make of of that decision.
1: You know, as we look across the state, our local communities have been very clear that they want to have control over the public health in their community. And as we look forward, and as we look at how the um, how the virus is continuing to mutate and to spread, uh, we know that our top state, our top health department, and when we look at the action of our local health departments, have been very much in sync. And so, I am very proud of local communities taking responsibility for their community and putting out their uh, the measures that they know will keep their local communities safe. I anticipate that they will continue to do that and we will continue to have the conversation. The governor and all of us have been very clear that we are following the science on this. Our public health departments have put local residents first and I know that they will continue to do that both for residents and
0: for school children. Hmm. So we've got a number of questions on Twitter about mass transit. Dave says, What if anything is being done to protect? prepare the way for regional transportation in Southeast Michigan. In twenty twenty a lot of the different ideas were in the works, like Oakland, Washtenaw, and Wayne being able to levy their own transit millage without Macomb or shrinking the taxable area. Big Neo says, when will leaders start taking a serious look at converting old rail lines to light rail for public transit? That Cut has a rail line that goes from the river eight mile and beyond. Also, how will daycare assistance uh, be issued? So so this question of mass transit is, uh, is pretty common here in Southeast Michigan because we have pretty poor infrastructure for mass transit. I, I, I'm not always sure that people understand what role the legislature might play in, in that, of course, local officials have a lot of uh, input and, and control over it. But are there things that we should be expecting from Lansing?
1: Absolutely. And um, this is a really exciting topic for me. And I will tell you, so I have three sons and two of them are, are here in Michigan finishing school and, and one has already left Michigan and um, doesn't own a car and has been using public transportation now for several years. And what I know is that if we are going to have true economic opportunity here in Michigan, when we look at You know, big job opportunities and providers who want to come to our state, they have consistently said that our lack of strong public uh, transportation and infrastructure is a key ding against our state. It's something we need. It provides economic opportunity, allows people to move around and get um, two jobs, two opportunities uh, without the, uh, you know, the often such high expense of owning a personal vehicle. Um, And we need to be able to do that. Again, these federal ARP dollars that are coming with their emphasis on creating more infrastructure opportunities, building out roads and bridges, and yes, public transportation, that is at the absolute top of the list of conversation for Southeast Michigan as we look at those opportunities. Now, the role of the legislature, sometimes there are obstacles in the way that stop communities from working together. You mentioned um, Washtenaw County, where I live, uh, Wayne and Oakland County, working together mm-hmm. on an infrastructure plan. Sometimes there's there's statutes that prohibit these areas from working together. So a lot of times in the legislature, what we can do is help enable that, strike down laws, get rid of obstacles and hurdles, open up pathways to communities to work together, but now we have this truly extra tool of these billions of dollars of American Recovery Plan dollars where we can also put some skin in the game. You know, our budget has been so tight for so long, that's been a difficult place for us to stand. But we now have that opportunity, and I look forward to us working with our local counties, communities, and cities to make sure we're really looking at transportation from a, from a place where we're considering all opportunities, light rail, uh, high speed buses, the continuous bus routes, we are looking at all of the opportunities that we have to get people to the places they need to be quickly and efficiently and at the lowest cost mm-hmm. for them.
0: yeah, so uh, my last question for you is oh. is one that I ask every member of the leadership in Lansing when uh, we have them on the show, and that's how the relationships are being managed uh, among leadership. Of course, Democrats mm-hmm. are in the minority in in the House in Lansing, and uh, the speaker is Jason Wentworth, uh, who's Mm -hmm. a Republican. What's your working relationship like with the speaker?
1: I'm very proud to have a strong working relationship with the speaker. Um, Again, the work that we have happen happens best when we keep focus on the people of Michigan and what are the needs of the people of Michigan. Our work flounders when the focus gets on things like unenforceable unconstitutional boilerplates that's put in the budget to muddy the waters. We were able to rise above. We were able to put out there and focus on the people of Michigan with numerous items, uh, you know, in this budget, again, around child care, connecting folks to education, public safety, um, mortgage assistance and home repairs. We were able to put those key items in the budget when we worked together. I know that we are going to continue to do that. Um, there will always be, you know, partisan measures. We saw yesterday several election bills rammed through the House, breaking all the rules of House procedure. And we saw Democrats stand against these voter suppression efforts. We will stand there as Democrats. The Republicans will continue to move those ideas. But when we can keep focused on the people of Michigan, we can come up with good work like we did with the budget. And Democrats will continue to stand in our values around standing for the freedom to vote, around standing against voter suppression, and around standing for working families and communities in Michigan and making sure we deliver for them every day.
0: Okay. Donald Lazinski, State House Minority Leader, Democrat from Sioux Township, represents Michigan's 52nd State House District. Great to have you here on the program. Thanks so much for coming by.
1: Thank you so much.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk with Lenny Miller, who made it his mission to create more opportunities for African Americans in the world of NASCAR and other motorsport events. We're going to talk about his new book, Racing While Black. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.